Welcome to the Nonlinear Library, where we use text-to-speech software to convert the best writing from the rationalist and EA communities into audio. This is part two of NGO and Yukowski on Alignment Difficulty, published by Eliezer Yukowski and Richard NGO on the AI Alignment Forum. 3. September 8th Conversation. 3.1. The Brazilian University Anecdote. Yukowski 11 o'clock. I am here. NGO 11.01. Me too. Soares 11.01. Welcome back. I'll mostly stay out of the way again. NGO 11.02. Cool. Eliezer, did you read the summary, and if so, do you roughly endorse it? Also, I've been thinking about the best way to approach discussing your intuitions about cognition. My guess is that starting with the obedience versus paperclips thread is likely to be less useful than starting somewhere else, for example the description you gave near the beginning of the last discussion, about searching for states that get fed into a result function and then a result scoring function. Yukowski 1106. Made a couple of comments about phrasings in the doc. So, from my perspective, there's this thing where it's really quite hard to teach certain general points by talking at people, as opposed to more specific points. Like, they're trying to build a perpetual motion machine, and even if you can manage to argue them into believing their first design is wrong, they go looking for a new design and the new design is complicated enough that they can no longer be convinced that they're wrong because they managed to make a more complicated error whose refutation they couldn't keep track of anymore. Teaching people to see an underlying structure in a lot of places is a very hard thing to teach in this way. Richard Feynman gave an example of the mental motion in his story that ends look at the water, where people learned in classrooms about how a medium with an index is supposed to polarize light reflected from it, but they didn't realize that sunlight coming off of water would be polarized. My guess is that doing this properly requires homework exercises, and that, unfortunately from my own standpoint, it happens to be a place where I have extra math talent, the same way that E.G. Marcello is more talented at formally proving theorems than I happen to be, and that people without the extra math talent, have to do a lot more exercises than I did, and I don't have a good sense of which exercises to give them. NGO 1113. I'm sympathetic to this, and can try to turn off skeptical discussion mode and turn on learning mode, if you think that'll help. Yukowski 11.14. There's a general insight you can have about how arithmetic is commutative, and for some people you can show them 1 plus 2 equals 2 plus 1 and their native insight suffices to generalize over the 1 and the 2 to any other numbers you could put in there, and they realize that strings of numbers can be rearranged and all end up equivalent. For somebody else, when they're a kid, you might have to show them two apples and one apple being put on the table in a different order but ending up with the same number of apples, and then you might have to show them again with adding up bills in different denominations, in case they didn't generalize from apples to money. I can actually remember being a child young enough that I tried to add 3 to 5 by counting 5, 6, 7 and I thought there was some clever enough way to do that to actually get 7, if you tried hard. Being able to see consequentialism is like that, from my perspective. NGO 1115. Another possibility, can you trace the origins of this belief, and how it came out of your previous beliefs? Yukowski 1115. I don't know what homework exercises to give people to make them able to see consequentialism all over the place, instead of inventing slightly new forms of consequentialist cognition and going well, now that isn't consequentialism, right? Trying to say searching for states that get fed into an input result function and then a result scoring function was one attempt of mine to describe the dangerous thing in a way that would maybe sound abstract enough that people would try to generalize it more. NGO 1117. Another possibility, can you describe the closest thing to real consequentialism in humans, and how it came about in us? Yukowski 1118-1121. Okay, so, part of the problem is that before you do enough homework exercises for whatever your level of talent is, 
And even I, at one point, had done little enough homework that I thought there might be a clever way to add 3 and 5 in order to get to 7, you tend to think that only the very crisp formal thing that's been presented to you, is the real thing. Why would your engine have to obey the laws of thermodynamics? You're not building one of those Carnot engines you saw in the physics textbook. Humans contain fragments of consequentialism, or bits and pieces whose interactions add up to partially and perfectly shadow consequentialism, and the critical thing is being able to see that the reason why humans' outputs work, in a sense, is because these structures are what is doing the work, and the work gets done because of how they shadow consequentialism and then only insofar as they shadow consequentialism. Put a human in one environment, it gets food. Put a human in a different environment, it gets food again. Wow, different initial conditions, same output. There must be things inside the human that, whatever else they do, are also along the way somehow effectively searching for motor signals such that food is the end result. NGO 1120. To me it feels like you're trying to nudge me, and by extension whoever reads this transcript, out of a specific failure mode. If I had to guess, something like, I understand what Eliezer is talking about so now I'm justified in disagreeing with it, or perhaps Eliezer's explanation didn't make sense to me and so I'm justified in thinking that his concepts don't make sense. Is that right? Yukowski 1122. More like from my perspective, even after I talk people out of one specific perpetual motion machine being possible, they go off and try to invent a different, more complicated perpetual motion machine. And I am not sure what to do about that. It has been going on for a very long time from my perspective. In the end, a lot of what people got out of all that writing I did, was not the deep object level principles I was trying to point to, they did not really get Bayesianism as thermodynamics, say, they did not become able to see Bayesian structures any time somebody sees a thing and changes their belief. What they got instead was something much more meta and general, a vague spirit of how to reason and argue, because that was what they'd spent a lot of time being exposed to over and over and over again in lots of blog posts. Maybe there's no way to make somebody understand why corrigibility is unnatural except to repeatedly walk them through the task of trying to invent an agent structure that lets you press the shutdown button, without it trying to force you to press the shutdown button, and showing them how each of their attempts fails, and then also walking them through why Stuart Russell's attempt at moral uncertainty produces the problem of fully updated, non-deference, and hope they can start to see the informal general pattern of why corrigibility is in general contrary to the structure of things that are good at optimization. Except that to do the exercises at all, you need them to work within an expected utility framework. And then they just go, oh, well, I'll just build an agent that's good at optimizing things but doesn't use these explicit expected utilities that are the source of the problem. And then if I want them to believe the same things I do, for the same reasons I do, I would have to teach them why certain structures of cognition are the parts of the agent that are good at stuff and do the work rather than them being this particular formal thing that they learned from manipulating meaningless numbers as opposed to real-world apples. And I have tried to write that page once or twice, e.g. coherent decisions imply consistent utilities, but it has not sufficed to teach them, because they did not even do as many homework problems as I did, let alone the greater number they'd have to do because this is in fact a place where I have a particular talent. I don't know how to solve this problem, which is why I'm falling back on talking about it at the meta level. NGO 1130. I'm reminded of a LW post called Write a Thousand Roads to Rome, which Irk argues in favor of trying to explain the same thing from as many angles as possible in the hope that one of them will stick. Soaris 1131. Suggestion, not necessarily good, having named this problem on the meta level, attempt to have the object level debate, while flagging instances of this as it comes up. NGO 1131. I endorse Nate's suggestion. And we'll try to keep the difficulty of the meta level problem in mind and respond accordingly. Yukowski 1133. 
That, Nate's suggestion, is probably the correct thing to do. I name it out loud because sometimes being told about the meta problem actually does help on the object problem. It seems to help me a lot and others somewhat less, but it does help others at all, for many others. 3.2. Brain functions and outcome pumps. Yukowski 1134. So, do you have a particular question you would ask about input-seeking cognitions? I did try to say why I mentioned those at all, it's a different road to Rome on consequentialism. NGO 1136. Let's see. So the visual cortex is an example of quite impressive cognition in humans and many other animals. But I'd call this pattern recognition rather than searching for high-scoring results. Yukowski 1137. Yep. And it is no coincidence that there are no whole animals formed entirely out of nothing but a visual cortex. NGO 1137. Okay, cool. So you'd agree that the visual cortex is doing something that's qualitatively quite different from the thing that animals overall are doing. Then another question is, can you characterize searching for high-scoring results in non-human animals? Do they do it? Or are you mainly talking about humans and AGIs? Yukowski 1139. Also by the time you get to like the temporal lobes or something, there is probably some significant amount of what could I be seeing that would produce this visual field. That is searching through hypothesis space for hypotheses with high plausibility scores, and for sure at the human level, humans will start to think, well, could I be seeing this? No, that theory has the following problem. How could I repair that theory? But it is plausible that there is no low-level analog of this in a monkey's temporal cortex, and even more plausible that the parts of the visual cortex, if any, which do anything analogous to this, are doing it in a relatively local and definitely very domain-specific way. Oh, that's the cerebellum and motor cortex and so on, if we're talking about a cat or whatever. They have to find motor plans that result in their catching the mouse. Just because the visual cortex isn't, obviously, running a search doesn't mean the rest of the animal isn't running any searches. On the meta level, I notice myself hiccuping but how could you not see that when looking at a cat, and wondering what exercises would be required to teach that. NGO 1141. Well, I see something when I look at a cat, but I don't know how well it corresponds to the concepts you're using. So just taking it slowly for now. I have the intuition, by the way, that the motor cortex is in some sense doing a similar thing to the visual cortex, just in reverse. So instead of taking low-level inputs and producing high-level outputs, it's taking high-level inputs and producing low-level outputs. Would you agree with that? Yukowski 1143. It doesn't directly parse in my ontology because, A, I don't know what you mean by high level and, B, whole Cartesian agents can be viewed as functions, that doesn't mean all agents can be viewed as non-searching pattern recognizers. That said, all parts of the cerebral cortex have surprisingly similar morphology, so it wouldn't be at all surprising if the motor cortex is doing something similar to visual cortex. The cerebellum, on the other hand. NGO 1144. The signal from the visual cortex saying that is a cat, and the signal to the motor cortex saying grab that cup, are things I'd characterize as high level. Yukowski 1145. Still less of a native distinction in my ontology, but there's an informal thing it can sort of wave at, and I can hopefully take that as understood and run with it. NGO 1145. The firing of cells in the retina, and firing of motor neurons, are the low-level parts. Cool. So to a first approximation, we can think about the part in between the cat recognizing a mouse, and the cat's motor cortex producing the specific neural signals required to catch the mouse, as the part where the consequentialism happens? Yukowski 1149. The part between the cat's eyes seeing the mouse, and the part where the cat's limbs move to catch the mouse, is the whole cat agent. The whole cat agent sure is a baby consequentialist, searches for mouse-catching motor patterns, 
gets similarly high-scoring end results even as you vary the environment. The visual cortex is a particular part of the system viewed as a feed-forward function that is, plausibly, by no means surely, either not very searchy, or does only small local visual domain-specific search is not aimed per se at catching mice, it has the epistemic nature rather than the planning nature. Then from one perspective you could reason that well, most of the consequentialism is in the remaining cat after visual cortex has sent signals onward. And this is in general a dangerous mode of reasoning that is liable to fail in, say, inspecting every particular neuron for consequentialism and not finding it. But in this particular case, there are significantly more consequentialist parts of the cat than the visual cortex, so I am okay running with it. NGO 1150. Ah, the more specific thing I meant to say is, most of the consequentialism is strictly between the visual cortex and the motor cortex. Agree disagree? Yukowski 1151. Disagree, I'm rusty on my neuroanatomy but I think the motor cortex may send signals on to the cerebellum rather than the other way around. I may also disagree with the actual underlying notion you're trying to hint at, so possibly not just a well include the cerebellum then issue, but I think I should let you respond first. NGO 1153. I don't know enough neuroanatomy to chase that up, so I was going to try a different tack. But actually, maybe it's easier for me to say let's include the cerebellum and see where you think the disagreement ends up. Yukowski 1156. So since cats are not, obviously, that I have read about, cross-domain consequentialists with imaginations, their consequentialism is in bits and pieces of consequentialism embedded in them all over by the more purely pseudo-consequentialist genetic optimization loop that built them. A cat who fails to catch a mouse may then get little bits and pieces of cat brain adjusted all over. And then those adjusted bits and pieces get a pattern lookup later. Why do these pattern lookups with no obvious immediate search element, all happen to point towards the same direction of catching the mouse? Because of the past causal history about how what gets looked up, which was tweaked to catch the mouse. So it is legit harder to point out the consequentialist parts of the cat by looking for which sections of neurology are doing searches right there. That said, to the extent that the visual cortex does not get tweaked on failure to catch a mouse, it's not part of that consequentialist loop either. And yes, the same applies to humans, but humans also do more explicitly searchy things and this is part of the story for why humans have spaceships and cats do not. NGO 12 o'clock. Okay, this is interesting. So in biological agents we've got these three levels of consequentialism, evolution, reinforcement learning, and planning. Yukowski 1201. In biological agents we've got evolution plus local evolved system rules that in the past promoted genetic fitness. Two kinds of local rules like this are operant conditioning updates from success or failure and search through visualized plans. I wouldn't characterize these two kinds of rules as levels. NGO 1202. Okay, I see. And when you talk about searching through visualized plans, the type of thing that humans do, can you say more about what it means for that to be a search? For example, if I imagine writing a poem line by line, I may only be planning a few words ahead. But somehow the whole poem, which might be quite long, ends up a highly optimized product. Is that a central example of planning? Yukowski 1204-1207. Planning is one way to succeed at search. I think for purposes of understanding alignment difficulty, you want to be thinking on the level of abstraction where you see that in some sense it is the search itself that is dangerous when it's a strong enough search, rather than the danger seeming to come from details of the planning process. One of my early experiences in successfully generalizing my notion of intelligence, what I'd later verbalize as computationally efficient finding of actions that produce outcomes high in a preference ordering, was in writing an, unpublished, story about time travel in which the universe was globally consistent. The requirement of global consistency, 
the way in which all events between paradox start and paradox finish had to map the paradox's initial conditions onto the endpoint that would go back and produce those exact initial conditions, ended up imposing strong complicated constraints on reality that the paradox in effect had to navigate using its initial conditions. The time traveler needed to end up going through certain particular experiences that would produce the state of mind in which he'd take the actions that would end up prodding his future self elsewhere into having those experiences. The paradox ended up killing the people who built the time machine, for example, because they would not otherwise have allowed that person to go back in time, or kept the temporal loop open that long for any other reason if they were still alive. Just having two examples of strongly consequentialist general optimization in front of me, human intelligence and evolutionary biology, hadn't been enough for me to properly generalize over a notion of optimization. Having three examples of homework problems I'd worked, human intelligence, evolutionary biology, and the fictional paradox, caused it to finally click for me. NGO 1207. Hmm. So to me, one of the central features of search is that you consider many possibilities. But in this poem example, I may only have explicitly considered a couple of possibilities, because I was only looking ahead a few words at a time. This seems related to the distinction Abram drew a while back between selection and control. Do you distinguish between them in the same way as he does? Or does control of a system, for example a football player dribbling a ball down the field, count a search too in your ontology? Yukowski 1210-1211. I would later try to tell people to imagine a paperclip maximizer as not being a mind at all, Imagine it as a kind of malfunctioning time machine that spits out outputs which will in fact result in larger numbers of paperclips coming to exist later. I don't think it clicked because people hadn't done the same homework problems I had, and didn't have the same aha, of realizing how part of the notion and danger of intelligence could be seen in such purely material terms. But the convergent instrumental strategies, the anti-corrigibility, these things are contained in the true fact about the universe that certain outputs of the time machine will in fact result in there being lots more paperclips later. What produces the danger is not the details of the search process, it's the search being strong and effective at all. The danger is in the territory itself and not just in some weird map of it, that building nanomachines that kill the programmers will produce more paperclips is a fact about reality, not a fact about paperclip maximizers. NGO 1211 Right, I remember a very similar idea in your writing about outcome pumps. Yukowski 1212. Yep. Alas, the story was written in 2002 to 2003 when I was a worse writer and the real story that inspired the outcome pump never did get published. NGO 1214. Okay, so I guess the natural next question is, what is it that makes you think that a strong, effective search isn't likely to be limited or constrained in some way? What is it about search processes, like human brains, that makes it hard to train them with blind spots, or deontological overrides, or things like that? Hmm, although it feels like this is a question I can probably predict your answer to. Or maybe not, I wasn't expecting the time travel. Yukowski 1215. In one sense, they are. A paperclip maximizing superintelligence is nowhere near as powerful as a paperclip maximizing time machine. The time machine can do the equivalent of buying winning lottery tickets from lottery machines that have been thermodynamically randomized. A superintelligence can't, at least not directly without rigging the lottery or whatever. But a paperclip maximizing strong general superintelligence is epistemically and instrumentally efficient, relative to you, or to me. Anytime we see it can get at least X paperclips by doing Y, we should expect that it gets X or more paperclips by doing Y or something that leads to even more paperclips than that, because it's not going to miss the strategy we see. So in that sense, searching our own brains for how a time machine would get paperclips, asking ourselves how many paperclips are in principle possible and how they could be obtained, 
is a way of getting our own brains to consider lower bounds on the problem without the implicit stupidity assertions that our brains unwittingly use to constrain story characters. Part of the point of telling people to think about time machines instead of superintelligences was to get past the ways they imagined superintelligences being stupid. Of course that didn't work either, but it was worth a try. I don't think that's quite what you were asking about, but I want to give you a chance to see if you want to rephrase anything before I try to answer your me reformulated questions. NGO1220. Yeah, I think what I wanted to ask is more like, why should we expect that, out of the space of possible minds produced by optimization algorithms like gradient descent, strong general superintelligences are more common than other types of agents which score highly on our loss functions? Yudkowsky 12 2012 23 12 24. It depends on how hard you optimize. And whether gradient descent on a particular system can even successfully optimize that hard. Many current AIs are trained by gradient descent and yet not superintelligences at all. But the answer is that some problems are difficult in that they require solving lots of subproblems, and an easy way to solve all those subproblems is to use patterns which collectively have some coherence and overlap, and the coherence within them generalizes across all the subproblems. Lots of search orderings will stumble across something like that before they stumble across separate solutions for lots of different problems. I suspect that you cannot get this out of small large amounts of gradient descent on small large layered transformers, and therefore I suspect that GPTN does not approach superintelligence before the world is ended by systems that look differently, but I could be wrong about that. NGO 12.22.12.23. Suppose that we optimize hard enough to produce an epistemic subsystem that can make plans much better than any humans. My guess is that you'd say that this is possible, but that we're much more likely to first produce a consequentialist agent which does this, rather than a purely epistemic agent which does this. Yukowski 12.24. I am confused by what you think it means to have an epistemic subsystem that makes plans much better than any humans. If it searches paths through time and selects high-scoring ones for output, what makes it epistemic? NGO 12.25. Suppose, for instance, that it doesn't actually carry out the plans, it just writes them down for humans to look at. Yukowski 12.25. If it can in fact do the thing that a paper-clipping time machine does, what makes it any safer than a paper-clipping time machine because we called it epistemic or by some other such name? By what criterion is it selecting the plans that humans look at? Why did it make a difference that its output was fed through the causal systems called humans on the way to the causal systems called protein synthesizers or the internet or whatever? If we build a superintelligence to design nanomachines, it makes no obvious difference to its safety whether it sends DNA strings directly to a protein synthesis lab, or humans read the output and retype it manually into an email. Presumably you also don't think that's where the safety difference comes from. So where does the safety difference come from? Note, Lunch time for me in 2 minutes, propose to reconvene in 30 meters after that. NGO 1228. Break for half an hour sounds good. If we consider the visual cortex at a given point in time, how does it decide which objects to recognize? Insofar as the visual cortex can be non-consequentialist about which objects it recognizes, why couldn't a planning system be non-consequentialist about which plans it outputs? Yukowski 1232. This does feel to me like another look at the water moment, so what do you predict I'll say about that? NGO 1234. I predict that you say something like, in order to produce an agent that can create very good plans, we need to apply a lot of optimization power to that agent. And if the channel through which we're applying that optimization power is giving feedback on its plans, then we don't have a mechanism to ensure that the agent actually learns to optimize for creating really good plans, as opposed to creating plans that receive really good feedback. So R is 1235. Seems like a fine cliffhanger? NGO 1235. Yep.
So R is 12.35. Great. Let's plan to reconvene in 30 minutes. 3.3. Hypothetical planning systems, nanosystems, and evolving generality. Yukowski 1303-1311. So the answer you expected from me, translated into my terms, would be, if you select for the consequence of the humans hitting approve on the plan, you're still navigating the space of inputs for paths through time to probable outcomes, namely the humans hitting approve, so you're still doing consequentialism. But suppose you manage to avoid that. Suppose you get exactly what you ask for. Then the system is still outputting plans such that, when humans follow them, they take paths through time and end up with outcomes that score high in some scoring function. My answer is, what the heck would it mean for a planning system to be non-consequentialist? You're asking for non-wet water. What's consequentialist isn't the system that does the work, it's the work you're trying to do. You could imagine it being done by a cognition-free material system like a time machine, and it would still be consequentialist because the output is a plan, a path through time. And this indeed is a case where I feel a helpless sense of not knowing how I can rephrase things, which exercises you have to get somebody to do, what fictional experience you have to walk somebody through, before they start to look at the water and see a material with an index, before they start to look at the phrase why couldn't a planning system be non-consequentialist about which plans it outputs and go on. My imaginary listener now replies, ah, but what if we have plans that don't end up with outcomes that score high in some function? And I reply then you lie on the ground randomly twitching because any outcome you end up with which is not that is one that you wanted more than that meaning you preferred it more than the outcome of random motor outputs which is optimization toward higher in the preference function which is taking a path through time that leads to particular destinations more than it leads to random noise. NGO 1309-1311. Yeah, this does seem like a good example of the thing you were trying to explain at the beginning. It still feels like there's some sort of levels distinction going on here though. Let me try to tease out that intuition. Okay, so suppose I have a planning system that, given a situation and a goal, outputs a plan that leads from that situation to that goal. And then suppose that we give it, as input, a situation that we're not actually in, and it outputs a corresponding plan. It seems to me that there's a difference between the sense in which that planning system is consequentialist by virtue of making consequentialist plans, as in, if that plan were used in the situation described in its inputs, it would lead to some goal being achieved versus another hypothetical agent that is just directly trying to achieve goals in the situation it's actually in. Yukowski 1318. So I'd preface by saying that, if you could build such a system, which is indeed a coherent thing, it seems to me, to describe for the purpose of building it, then there would possibly be a safety difference on the margins, it would be noticeably less dangerous though still dangerous. It would need a special internal structural property that you might not get by gradient descent on a loss function with that structure just like natural selection on inclusive genetic fitness doesn't get you explicit fitness optimizers, you could optimize for planning in hypothetical situations, and get something that didn't explicitly care only and strictly about hypothetical situations. And even if you did get that, the outputs that would kill or brain corrupt the operators in hypothetical situations might also be fatal to the operators in actual situations. But that is a coherent thing to describe, and the fact that it was not optimizing our own universe, might make it safer. With that said, I would worry that somebody would think there was some bone-deep difference of agentiness, of something they were empathizing with like personhood, of imagining goals and drives being absent or present in one case or the other, when they imagine a planner that just solves hypothetical problems. If you take that planner and feed it the actual world as it's hypothetical, tada, it is now that big old dangerous consequentialist you were imagining before, without it having acquired some difference of psychological agency or caring or whatever. So I think there is an important homework exercise to do here which is something like, 
Imagine that safe-seeming system which only considers hypothetical problems. Now see that if you take that system, don't make any other internal changes, and feed it actual problems, it's very dangerous. Now meditate on this until you can see how the hypothetical considering planner was extremely close in the design space to the more dangerous version, had all the dangerous latent properties, and would probably have a bunch of actual dangers too. See, you thought the source of the danger was this internal property of caring about actual reality, but it wasn't that, it was the structure of planning. NGO 1322. I think we're getting closer to the same page now. Let's consider this hypothetical planner for a bit. Suppose that it was trained in a way that minimized the, let's say, adversarial component of its plans. For example, let's say that the plans it outputs for any situation are heavily regularized so only the broad details get through. Hmm, I'm having a bit of trouble describing this, but basically I have an intuition that in this scenario there's a component of its plan which is cooperative with whoever executes the plan, and a component that's adversarial. And I agree that there's no fundamental difference in type between these two things. Yukowski 1327. What if this potion we're brewing has a good part and a bad part, and we could just keep the good parts? NGO 1327. Nor do I think they're separable. But in some cases, you might expect one to be much larger than the other. Soares 1329. I observe that my model of some other listeners, at this point protest there is yet a difference between the hypothetical planner applied to actual problems, and the big scary consequentialist, which is that the hypothetical planner is emitting descriptions of plans that would work if executed, whereas the big scary consequentialist is executing those plans directly. Not sure that's a useful point to discuss, or if it helps Richard articulate, but it's at least a place I expect some readers' minds to go if when this is published. Yukowski 1330. That is in fact a difference. The insight is in realizing that the hypothetical planner is only one line of outer shell command away from being a big scary thing and is therefore also liable to be big and scary in many ways. NGO 1331. To me it seems that Eliezer's position is something like, actually, in almost no training regimes do we get agents that decide which plans to output by spending almost all of their time thinking about the object-level problem, and very little of their time thinking about how to manipulate the humans carrying out the plan. Yukowski 1332. My position is that the AI does not neatly separate its internals into a part you think of as good and a part you think of as bad, because that distinction is sharp in your map but not sharp in the territory or the AI's map. From the perspective of a paperclip maximizing action outputting time machine, its actions are not object-level making paperclips or manipulating the humans next to the time machine to deceive them about what the machine does, they're just physical outputs that go through time and end up with paperclips. NGO 1334. At Nate, yeah, that's a nice way of phrasing one point I was trying to make. And I do agree with Eliza that these things can be very similar. But I'm claiming that in some cases these things can also be quite different, for instance, when we're training agents that only get to output a short high-level description of the plan. Yukowski 1335. The danger is in how hard the agent has to work to come up with the plan. I can, for instance, build an agent that very safely outputs a high-level plan for saving the world. Echo Hey Richard, go save the world. So I do have to ask what kind of high-level planning output, that saves the world, you are envisioning, and why it was hard to cognitively come up with such that we didn't just make that high-level plan right now, if humans could follow it. Then I'll look at the part where the plan was hard to come up with, and say how the agent had to understand lots of complicated things in reality and accurately navigate paths through time for those complicated things, in order to even invent the high-level plan, and hence it was very dangerous if it wasn't navigating exactly where you hoped. Or, alternatively, I'll say, that plan couldn't save the world, 
you're not postulating enough superintelligence to be dangerous, and you're also not using enough superintelligence to flip the tables on the currently extremely doomed world. NGO 1339. At this point I'm not envisaging a particular planning output that saves the world, I'm just trying to get more clarity on the issue of consequentialism. Yukowski 1340. Look at the water, it's not the way you're doing the work that's dangerous, it's the work you're trying to do. What work are you trying to do, never mind how it gets done. NGO 1341. I think I agree with you that, in the limit of advanced capabilities, we can't say much about how the work is being done, we have to primarily reason from the work that we're trying to do. But here I'm only talking about systems that are intelligent enough to come up with plans and do research that are beyond the capability of humanity. And for me the question is, for those systems, can we tilt the way they do the work so they spend 99% of their time trying to solve the object-level problem, and 1% of their time trying to manipulate the humans who are going to carry out the plan? Where these are not fundamental categories for the AI, they're just a rough categorization that emerges after we've trained it, the same way that the categories of physically moving around and thinking about things aren't fundamentally different categories of action for humans, but the way we've evolved means there's a significant internal split between them. So R is 1343. I suspect Eliezer is not trying to make a claim of the form in the limit of advanced capabilities, we are relegated to reasoning about what work gets done, not about how it was done. I suspect some miscommunication. It might be a reasonable time for Richard to attempt to paraphrase Eliezer's argument. Though it also seems to me like Eliezer responding to the 99% slash 1% point may help shed light. Yukowski 1346. Well, for one thing, I note that a system which is designing nanosystems, and spending 1% of its time thinking about how to kill the operators, is lethal. It has to be such a small fraction of thinking that it, like, never completes the whole thought about well, if I did X, that would kill the operators. NGO 1346. Thanks for that, Nate. I'll try to paraphrase Eliezer's argument now. Eliezer's position, partly in my own terminology, we're going to build AIs that can perform very difficult tasks using cognition which we can roughly describe as searching over many options to find one that meets our criteria. An AI that can solve these difficult tasks will need to be able to search in a very general and flexible way, and so it will be very difficult to constrain that search into a particular region. Hmm, that felt like a very generic summary, let me try and think about the more specific claims he's making. Yukowski 1354. An AI that can solve these difficult tasks will need to be able to. Very very little is universally necessary over the design space. The first AGI that our tech becomes able to build is liable to work in certain easier and simpler ways. NGO 1355. Point taken, thanks for catching this misphrasing, this in previous times. Yukowski 1356. Can you, in principle, build a red car driver that is totally incapable of driving blue cars? In principle, sure. But the first red car driver that gradient descent stumbles over is liable to be a blue car driver too. NGO 1357. Eliezer, I'm wondering how much of our disagreement is about how high the human level is here. Or, to put it another way, we can build systems that outperform humans at quite a few tasks by now, without having search abilities that are general enough to even try to take over the world. Yukowski 1358. Indubitably and indeed, this is so. NGO 1359. Putting aside for a moment the question of which tasks are pivotal enough to save the world, which parts of your model draw the line between human-level chess players and human-level galaxy colonizers? And say that we'll be able to align ones that they outperform us on these tasks before taking over the world, but not on these other tasks? Yukowski 1359-1401. That doesn't have a very simple answer, but one aspect there is domain generality which in turn is achieved through novel domain learning. Humans, 
You will note, were not aggressively optimized by natural selection to be able to breathe underwater or fly into space. In terms of obvious outer criteria, there is not much outer sign that natural selection produced these creatures much more general than chimpanzees, by training on a much wider range of environments and loss functions. So R is 1400 hours. Before we drift too far from it, thanks for the summary. It seemed good to me, and I updated towards the miscommunication I feared not having happened. NGO 1403. Before we drift too far from it, thanks for the summary. It seemed good to me, and I updated towards the miscommunication I feared not having happened. Good to know, thanks for keeping an eye out. To be clear, I didn't ever interpret Eliezer as making a claim explicitly about the limit of advanced capabilities, instead it just seemed to me that he was thinking about AIs significantly more advanced than the ones I've been thinking of. I think I phrased my point poorly. Yukowski 1405-1410. There are complicated aspects of this story where natural selection may metaphorically be said to have had no idea of what it was doing, e.g., after early rises in intelligence possibly produced by sexual selection on neatly chipped flint hand axes or whatever, all the cumulative brain optimization on chimpanzees reached a point where there was suddenly a sharp selection gradient on relative intelligence at Machiavellian planning against other humans, even more so than in the chimp domain, as a subtask of inclusive genetic fitness, and so continuing to optimize on inclusive genetic fitness in the same old savanna, turned out to happen to be optimizing hard on the subtask and internal capability of outwit other humans, which optimized hard on model other humans, which was a capability that could be reused for modeling the chimp that is this chimp, which turned the system on itself and made it reflective, which contributed greatly to its intelligence being generalized, even though it was just grinding the same loss function on the same savanna. The system being optimized happened to go there in the course of being optimized even harder for the same thing. So one can imagine asking the question, is there a super-intelligent AGI that can quickly build nanotech, which has a kind of passive safety in some if not all respects, in virtue of it solving problems like build a nanotech system which dissects the way that a beaver solves building dams, in virtue of having a bunch of specialized learning abilities without it ever having a cross-domain general learning ability. And in this regard one does note that there are many, many, many things that humans do which no other animal does, which you might think would contribute a lot to that animal's fitness if there were animalistic ways to do it. They don't make iron claws for themselves. They never did evolve a tendency to search for iron ore, and burn wood into charcoal that could be used in hardened clay furnaces. No animal plays chess, but AIs do, so we can obviously make AIs to do things that animals don't do. On the other hand, the environment didn't exactly present any particular species with a challenge of chess playing either. Even so, though, even if some animal had evolved to play chess, I fully expect that current AI systems would be able to squish it at chess, because the AI systems are on chips that run faster than neurons and doing crisp calculations and there are things you just can't do with noisy slow neurons. So that again is not a generally reliable argument about what AIs can do. NGO 1409-1411. Yes, although I note that challenges which are trivial from a human engineering perspective can be very challenging from an evolutionary perspective, for example spinning wheels. And so the evolution of animals with a little bit of help from humans might end up in very different places from the evolution of animals just by themselves. And analogously, the ability of humans to fill in the gaps to help less general AIs achieve more might be quite significant. Yukowski 1411. So we can again ask, is there a way to make an AI system that is only good at designing nanosystems, which can achieve some complicated but hopefully specifiable real-world outcomes, without that AI also being superhuman and understanding and manipulating humans? And I roughly answer, perhaps, but not by default, there's a bunch of sub-problems, I don't actually know how to do it right now, 
it's not the easiest way to get an AGI that can build nanotech, and kill you, you've got to make the red car drivers specifically not be able to drive blue cars. Can I explain how I know that? I'm really not sure I can, in real life where I explain X0 and then the listener doesn't generalize X0 to X and re-specialize it to X1. It's like asking me how I could possibly know in 2008, before anybody had observed Alpha Fold 2, that superintelligences would be able to crack the protein folding problem on the way to nanotech, which some people did question back in 2008. Though that was admittedly more of a slam dunk than this was, and I could not have told you that Alpha Fold 2 would become possible at a pre-human level of general intelligence in 2021 specifically, or that it would be synced in time to a couple of years after GPT-2's level of generality at text. NGO1418. What are the most relevant axes of difference between solving protein folding and designing nanotech that, say, self-assembles into a computer? Yukowski1420. Definitely, turns out it's easier than you thought to use gradient descents memorization of zillions of shallow patterns that overlap and recombine into larger cognitive structures, to add up to a consequentialist nanoengineer that only does nanosystems and never does sufficiently general learning to apprehend the big picture containing humans, while still understanding the goal for that pivotal act you wanted to do is among the more plausible advanced specified miracles we could get. But it is not what my model says actually happens, and I am not a believer that when your model says you are going to die, you get to start believing in particular miracles. You need to hold your mind open for any miracle and a miracle you didn't expect or think of in advance, because at this point our last hope is that in fact the future is often quite surprising, though, alas, negative surprises are a tad more frequent than positive ones, when you are trying desperately to navigate using a bad map. NGO1422. Perhaps one metric we could use here is something like, how much extra reward does the consequentialist nanoengineer get from starting to model humans, versus from becoming better at nanoengineering? Yukowski1423. But that's not where humans came from. We didn't get to nuclear power by getting a bunch of fitness from nuclear power plants. We got to nuclear power because if you get a bunch of fitness from chipping flint hand axes and Machiavellian scheming, as found by relatively simple and local hill climbing, that entrains the same genes that build nuclear power plants. NGO1424. Only in the specific case where you also have the constraint that you keep having to learn new goals every generation. Yukowski1424. Huh? Soar is1424. I think Richard's saying, that's a consequence of the genetic bottleneck. NGO1425. Right. Hmm, but I feel like we may have covered this ground before. Suggestion, I have a couple of other directions I'd like to poke at, and then we could wrap up in 20 or 30 minutes. Yukowski1427. Okay. What are the most relevant axes of difference between solving protein folding and designing nanotech that, say, self-assembles into a computer? Though I want to mark that this question seemed potentially cruxy to me, though perhaps not for others. I.e., if building protein factories that built nanofactories that built nanomachines that met a certain deep and lofty engineering goal, didn't involve cognitive challenges different in kind from protein folding, we could maybe just safely go do that using Alpha Fold 3, which would be just as safe as Alpha Fold 2. I don't think we can do that. And I would note to the generic other that if, to them, these both just sound like thinky things, so why can't you just do that other thinky thing too using the thinky program? This is a case where having any specific model of why we don't already have this nanoengineer right now would tell you there were specific different thinky things involved. 3.4. Coherence and pivotal acts. NGO1431. In either order. I'm curious how the things we've been talking about relate to your opinions about meta-level optimization from the AI FOOM debate i.e. talking about how wrapping around so that there's no longer any protected level of optimization leads to dramatic change. 
I'm curious how your claims about the robustness of consequentialism, i.e. the difficulty of channeling an agent's thinking in the directions we want it to go, relate to the reliance of humans on culture, and in particular the way in which humans raised without culture are such bad consequentialists. On the first, if I were to simplify to the extreme, it seems like there are these two core intuitions that you've been trying to share for a long time. One is a certain type of recursive improvement, and another is a certain type of consequentialism. Yukowski 1432. The second question didn't make much sense in my native ontology. Humans raised without culture don't have access to environmental constants whose presence their genes assume, so they end up as broken machines and then they're bad consequentialists. NGO 1435. Hmm, good point. Okay, question modification, the ways in which humans reason, act, etc., vary greatly depending on which cultures they're raised in. I'm mostly thinking about differences over time, for example cavemen versus moderns. My low-fidelity version of your view about consequentialists says that general consequentialists like humans possess a robust search process which isn't so easily modified. Sorry if this doesn't make much sense in your ontology, I'm getting a bit tired. Yukowski 1436. What is it that varies that you think I think should predict would stay more constant? NGO 1437. Goals, styles of reasoning, deontological constraints, level of conformity. Yukowski 1439. With regards to your first point, my first reaction was, I just have one view of intelligence, what you see me arguing about reflects which points people have proved weirdly obstinate about. In 2008, Robin Hansen was being weirdly obstinate about how capabilities scaled and whether there was even any point in analyzing AIs differently from EMS, so I talked about what I saw as the most slam-dunk case for there being plenty of room above biology and for stuff going whoosh once it got above the human level. It later turned out that capabilities started scaling a whole lot without self-improvement, which is an example of the kind of weird surprise the future throws at you, and maybe a case where I missed something by arguing with Hansen instead of imagining how I could be wrong in either direction and not just the direction that other people wanted to argue with me about. Later on, people were unable to understand why alignment is hard, and got stuck on generalizing the concept I refer to as consequentialism. A theory of why I talked about both things for related reasons would just be a theory of why people got stuck on these two points for related reasons, and I think that theory would mainly be over-explaining an accident because if Yama Kun had been running effective altruism I would have been explaining different things instead, after the people who talked a lot to Ies got stuck on a different point. Returning to your second point, humans are broken things, if it were possible to build computers while working even worse than humans, we'd be having this conversation at that level of intelligence instead. NGO 1441. Retracted I entirely agree about humans, but it doesn't matter that much how broken humans are when the regime of AIs that we're talking about is the regime that's directly above humans, and therefore only a bit less broken than humans. Yukowski 1441. Among the things to bear in mind about that, is that we then get tons of weird phenomena that are specific to humans, and you may be very out of luck if you start wishing for the same weird phenomena in AIs. Yes, even if you make some sort of attempt to train it using a loss function. However, it does seem to me like as we start getting towards the Einstein level instead of the village idiot level, even though this is usually not much of a difference, we do start to see the atmosphere start to thin already, and the turbulence start to settle down already. Von Neumann was actually a fairly reflective fellow who knew about, and indeed helped generalize, utility functions. The great achievements of von Neumann were not achieved by some very specialized hypernerd who spent all his fluid intelligence on crystallizing math and science and engineering alone and so never developed any opinions about politics or started thinking about whether or not he had a utility function. NGO 1444. I don't think I'm asking for the same weird phenomena. 
but insofar as a bunch of the phenomena I've been talking about have seemed weird according to your account of consequentialism, then the fact that approximately human-level consequentialists have lots of weird things about them is a sign that the phenomena I've been talking about are less unlikely than you expect. Yukowski 1445-1446. I suspect that some of the difference here is that I think you have to be noticeably better than a human at nanoengineering to pull off pivotal acts large enough to make a difference, which is why I am not instead trying to gather the smartest people left alive and doing that pivotal act directly. I can't think of anything you can do with somebody just barely smarter than a human, which flips the game board, aside of course from go build a friendly AI which I did try to set up to just go do and which would be incredibly hard to align if we wanted an AI to do it instead, full-blown chicken and egg, that AI is already fully aligned. NGO 1445. Oh, interesting. Actually one more question then, to what extent do you think that explicitly reasoning about utility functions and laws of rationality is what makes consequentialists have the properties you've been talking about? Yukowski 1447, moved up in log. Explicit reflection is one possible later stage of the path, an earlier part of the path is from being optimized to do things difficult enough that you need to stop stepping on your own feet and have different parts of your thoughts work well together. It's the sort of path that has only one destination at its end, so there will be many ways to get there. Modulo various cases where different decision theories seem reflectively consistent and so on, I want to say you know what I mean but maybe people don't. NGO 1447, move down in log. I suspect that some of the difference here is that I think you have to be noticeably better than a human at nanoengineering to pull off pivotal acts large enough to make a difference, which is why I am not instead trying to gather the smartest people left alive and doing that pivotal act directly. Yep, I think there's probably some disagreements about geopolitics driving this too. For example in my earlier summary document I mentioned some possible pivotal acts. Monitoring all potential AGI projects to an extent that makes it plausible for the US and China to work on a joint project without worrying that the other is privately racing. Provide arguments demonstrations slash proofs related to impending existential risk that are sufficiently compelling to scare the key global decision makers into bottlenecking progress. I predict that you think these would not be pivotal enough, but I don't think digging into the geopolitical side of things is the best use of our time. Yukowski 1449 moved up in log. Monitoring all AGI projects, either not politically feasible in real life given the actual way that countries behave in history books instead of fantasy, or at politically feasible levels, does not work well enough to prevent the world from ending once the know-how proliferates. The AI isn't doing much work here either, why not go do this now, if it's possible? Note, please don't try to go do this now, it backfires badly. Provide sufficiently compelling arguments equals superhuman manipulation, an incredibly dangerous domain that is just about the worst domain to try to align. NGO 1449, move down and log. With regards to your first point, my first reaction was, I just have one view of intelligence, what you see me arguing about reflects which points people have proved weirdly obstinate about. In 2008, Robin Hansen was being weirdly obstinate about how capabilities scaled and whether there was even any point in analyzing AIs differently from EMS, so I talked about what I saw as the most slam-dunk case for there being plenty of room above biology and for stuff going whoosh once it got above the human level. It later turned out that capabilities started scaling a whole lot without self-improvement, which is an example of the kind of weird surprise the future throws at you, and maybe a case where I missed something by arguing with Hansen instead of imagining how I could be wrong in either direction and not just the direction that other people wanted to argue with me about. Later on, people were unable to understand why alignment is hard, and got stuck on generalizing the concept I refer to as consequentialism. 
A theory of why I talked about both things for related reasons would just be a theory of why people got stuck on these two points for related reasons, and I think that theory would mainly be over-explaining an accident because if Yalma Khan had been running effective altruism I would have been explaining different things instead, after the people who talked a lot to EAs got stuck on a different point. On my first point, it seems to me that your claims about recursive self-improvement were often a fairly similar way to how I think your claims about consequentialism are off, which is that they defer too much to one very high-level abstraction. Yukowski 1452. On my first point, it seems to me that your claims about recursive self-improvement were often a fairly similar way to how I think your claims about consequentialism are off, which is that they defer too much to one very high-level abstraction. I suppose that is what it could potentially feel like from the inside to not get an abstraction. Robin Hansen kept on asking why I was trusting my abstractions so much, when he was in the process of trusting his worse abstractions instead. NGO 1451-1453. Explicit reflection is one possible later stage of the path, an earlier part of the path is from being optimized to do things difficult enough that you need to stop stepping on your own feet and have different parts of your thoughts work well together. Can you explain a little more what you mean by of different parts of your thoughts work well together? Is this something like the capacity for metacognition, or the global workspace, or self-control, or? And I guess there's no good way to quantify how important you think the explicit reflection part of the path is, compared with other parts of the path, but any rough indication of whether it's a more or less crucial component of your view? Yukowski 1455. Can you explain a little more what you mean by of different parts of your thoughts work well together? Is this something like the capacity for metacognition, or the global workspace, or self-control, or? No, it's like when you don't, like, pay five apples for something on Monday, sell it for two oranges on Tuesday, and then trade an orange for an apple. I have still not figured out the homework exercises to convey to somebody the word of power which is coherence by which they will be able to look at the water, and see coherence in places like a cat walking across the room without tripping over itself. When you do lots of reasoning about arithmetic correctly, Without making a misstep, that long chain of thoughts with many different pieces diverging and ultimately converging, ends up making some statement that is still true and still about numbers. Wow. How do so many different thoughts add up to having this property? Wouldn't they wander off and end up being about tribal politics instead, like on the internet? And one way you could look at this, is that even though all these thoughts are taking place in a bounded mind, they are shadows of a higher unbounded structure which is the model identified by the piano axioms all the things being said are true about the numbers. Even though somebody who was missing the point would at once object that the human contain no mechanism to evaluate each of their statements against all of the numbers, so obviously no human could ever contain a mechanism like that, so obviously you can't explain their success by saying that each of their statements was true about the same topic of the numbers, because what could possibly implement that mechanism which, in the person's narrow imagination, is the one way to implement that structure, which humans don't have? But though mathematical reasoning can sometimes go astray, when it works at all, it works because, in fact, even bounded creatures can sometimes manage to obey local relations that in turn add up to a global coherence where all the pieces of reasoning point in the same direction, like photons in a laser lasing, even though there's no internal mechanism that enforces the global coherence at every point. To the extent that the outer optimizer trains you out of paying five apples on Monday for something that you trade for two oranges on Tuesday and then trading two oranges for four apples, the outer optimizer is training all the little pieces of yourself to be locally coherent in a way that can be seen as an imperfect bounded shadow of a higher unbounded structure, and then the system is powerful though imperfect because of how the power is present in the coherence and the overlap of the pieces, because of how the higher perfect structure is being imperfectly shadowed. 
In this case the higher structure I'm talking about is utility, and doing homework with coherence theorems leads you to appreciate that we only know about one higher structure for this class of problems that has a dozen mathematical spotlights pointing at it saying look here, even though people have occasionally looked for alternatives. And when I try to say this, people are like, well, I looked up a theorem, and it talked about being able to identify a unique utility function from an infinite number of choices, but if we don't have an infinite number of choices, we can't identify the utility function. So what relevance does this have and this is a kind of mistake I don't remember even coming close to making so I do not know how to make people stop doing that and maybe I can't. So R is 1507. We're already pushing our luck on time, so I nominate that we wrap up, after, perhaps, a few more Richard responses if he's got juice left. Yudkowsky 1507. Yeah, was thinking the same. So R is 1507. As a proposed cliffhanger to feed into the next discussion, my take is that Richard's comment. On my first point, it seems to me that your claims about recursive self-improvement were off in a fairly similar way to how I think your claims about consequentialism are off, which is that they defer too much to one very high-level abstraction. Probably contain some juicy part of the disagreement, and I'm interested in Eliezer understanding Richard's claim to the point of being able to paraphrase it to Richard's satisfaction. NGO 1508. Wrapping up here makes sense. I endorse the thing Nate just said. I also get the sense that I have a much better outline now of Eliezer's views about consequentialism, if not the actual details and texture. On a meta level, I personally tend to focus more on things like how should we understand cognition and not how should we understand geopolitics and how it affects the level of pivotal action required. If someone else were trying to prosecute this disagreement they might say much more about the latter. I'm uncertain how useful it is for me to do so, given that my comparative advantage compared with the rest of the world, and probably Eliezer's too, is the cognition part. Yudkowsky 1512. Reconvene tomorrow? Monday of next week? NGO 1512. Monday would work better for me. You okay with me summarizing the discussion so far too, some people, redacted for privacy reasons? Yudkowsky 1513. Nate, take a minute to think of your own thoughts there? Soares, thumbs up, A-OK hand. Soares 1515. My take, I think it's fine to summarize, though generally virtuous to mark summaries as summaries, rather than asserting that your summaries are Eliezer endorsed or W.E. NGO, thumbs up. Yukowski 1516. I think that broadly matches my take. I'm also a bit worried about biases in the text summarizer, and about whether I managed to say anything that Rob or somebody will object to pre-publication, but we ultimately intended this to be seen and I was keeping that in mind, so, yeah, go ahead and summarize. NGO 1517. Great, thanks. Yudkowsky 1517. I admit to being curious as to what you thought was said that was important or new, but that's a question that can be left open to be answered at your leisure, earlier in your day. NGO 1517. I admit to being curious as to what you thought was said that was important or new, but that's a question that can be left open to be answered at your leisure, earlier in your day. You mean, what I thought was worth summarizing? Yudkowsky 1517. Yeah. NGO 1518. Hmm, articular opinion. I wasn't going to go out of my way to do so, but since I'm chatting to, some people, redacted for privacy reasons, regularly anyway, it seemed low cost to fill them in. At your leisure, I'd be curious to know how well the directions of discussion are meeting your goals for what you want to convey when this is published, and whether there are topics you want to focus on more. Yudkowsky 1519. I don't know if it's going to help, but trying it currently seems better than to go on saying nothing. NGO 1520. Personally, in addition to feeling like less of an expert on geopolitics, it also seems more sensitive for me to make claims about in public, 
which is another reason I haven't been digging into that area as much. So R is 1521. Personally, in addition to feeling like less of an expert on geopolitics, it also seems more sensitive for me to make claims about in public, which is another reason I haven't been digging into that area as much. Seems reasonable. Note, though, that I'd be quite happy to have sensitive sections stricken from the record, insofar as that lets us get more convergence than we otherwise would, while we're already in the area. NGO, thumbs up. Though OFC it is less valuable to spend conversational effort in private discussions, etc. NGO, thumbs up. NGO 1522. At your leisure, I'd be curious to know how well the directions of discussion are meeting your goals for what you want to convey when this is published, and whether there are topics you want to focus on more. This question aimed at you too Nate. Also, thanks Nate for the moderation. I found your interventions well-timed and useful. Soaris, heart. Soaris 1523. This question aimed at you too Nate. Noted, thanks, I'll probably write something up after you've had the opportunity to depart for sleep. On that note, I declare us adjourned, with intent to reconvene at the same time on Monday. Thanks again, both. NGO 1523. Thanks both, smiley face. Oh, actually, one quick point. Would one hour earlier suit, for Monday? I've realized that I'll be moving to a one hour later time zone, and starting at 9pm is slightly suboptimal, but still possible if necessary. So R is 1524. One hour earlier would work fine for me. Yukowski 1525. Doesn't work as fine for me because I've been trying to avoid any food until 12 30 p my time, but on that particular day I may be more calorie than usual from the previous day, and could possibly get away with it. That whole day could also potentially fail if a minor medical procedure turns out to take more recovery than it did the last time I had it. NGO 1526. Hmm, is this something where you'd have more information on the day? For the calories thing. Yukowski 1527. Seems reasonable. Note, though, that I'd be quite happy to have sensitive sections stricken from the record, insofar as that lets us get more convergence than we otherwise would, while we're already in the area. I'm a touch reluctant to have discussions that we intend to delete, because then the larger debate will make less sense once those sections are deleted. Let's dance around things if we can. NGO, thumbs up, Soaris, thumbs up. I mean, I can that day at 10am my time say how I am doing and whether I'm in shape for that day. NGO 1528. Great and if at that point it seems net positive to postpone to 11am your time, at the cost of me being a bit less coherent later on, then feel free to say so at the time. On that note, I'm off. Yukowski 1529. Good night, heroic debater. Soaris 1611. At your leisure, I'd be curious to know how well the directions of discussion are meeting your goals for what you want to convey when this is published, and whether there are topics you want to focus on more. The discussions so far are meeting my goals quite well so far. Slightly better than my expectations, hooray. Some quick rough notes. I have been enjoying A explicating his models around consequentialism. The objections Richard has been making are ones I think have been floating around for some time, and I'm quite happy to see explicit discussion on it. Also, I've been appreciating the conversational virtue with which the two of you have been exploring it. Assumption of good intent, charity, curiosity, etc. I'm excited to dig into Richard's sense that A was off about recursive self-improvement, and is now off about consequentialism, in a similar way. This also sees to me like a critique that's been floating around for some time, and I'm looking forward to getting more clarity on it. I'm a bit torn between driving towards clarity on the latter point, and shoring up some of the progress on the former point. One artifact I'd really enjoy having is some sort of before and after take, from Richard, contrasting his model of EY's views before, to his model now. 
I also have a vague sense that there are some points Eliezer was trying to make, that didn't quite feel like they were driven home, and duly, some pushback by Richard that didn't feel quite frontally answered. One thing I may do over the next few days is make a list of those places, and see if I can do any distilling on my own. No promises, though. If that goes well, I might enjoy some side channel back and forth with Richard about it, e.g. during some more convenient for Richard hour, or, e.g., as a thing to do on Monday if EY's not in commission at 10A Pacific. NGO 540, next day, September 9th. The discussions so far are. What do you mean by latter point and former point? In your sixth bullet point. So are a 709, next day, September 9th. What do you mean by latter point and former point? In your sixth bullet point. Former equals shoring up the consequentialism stuff, latter equals digging into your critique re, recursive self-improvement etc. The nesting of the bullets was supposed to help make that clear, but didn't come out well in this format, oops. This was part 2 of, Angio and Yukowski on alignment difficulty. Thanks for listening. To help us out with the nonlinear library or to learn more, please visit nonlinear.org.